Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and we are here for the week 15 preview. It's the holiday season. We've got the garland and the decorations on set. The weather's getting colder. That means the bye weeks are done. A full 16-game slate this coming weekend. And the games are a little bit all over the place. We're officially starting Saturday football here in the NFL now that college is done. Three Saturday games as well as a full Sunday. Got a big Monday nighter as well with the Eagles traveling up to Seattle. So much to get into. We're actually we're going to check in with a division tends to get a little bit ignored, and probably deservedly so. The NFC South, the only division race that doesn't feature a team above 500. We're going to chat with our good buddy Fox Sports NFC South writer Greg Allman about several big games in that division. Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up to Green Bay to face the Packers. Also a big game down in New Orleans between the Saints and the Red Hot Giants. Yep, that's not a typo. Tommy DeVito, what up? But... Where would we start week 15 other than, I'm sorry, it, it's another game of the year. Just It happens every weekend. Send a Christmas bonus to the schedule makers. The Dallas Cowboys going up to face the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park, New York. A game that I just can't get enough of. And the latest of this series of tests for the red-hot Dallas Cowboys. And I, I'm going to say the most important one so far. And I hope you don't think I'm moving the goalposts on the Cowboys. They've won five in a row. They've won seven of eight. They just beat down their division rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are 10 win teams. So why is playing a seven and six Buffalo, a bigger deal for the Dallas Cowboys? I'll tell you, it is the unknown. It is the unfamiliar opponent. Obviously, this is a cross-conference game. It is a cross-conference game against an MVP caliber opponent in Josh Allen. I actually looked this up this week. Dak Prescott against quarterbacks that have secured at least one MVP vote. He's playing 500 football over the course of his career, 15 and 16. I'm not saying that's bad. It's hard to beat great quarterbacks, but Compare that to the success that the Dallas Cowboys have had in their own division. Dak Prescott is 30 and eight against the NFC East. Even against the mighty Eagles, he's won far more than he's lost. We know that he can do that. It's when you venture outside of that territory that things start to get dicey. It's when you've had up and down results against Aaron Rodgers. It's going to Arrowhead Stadium a couple years ago and failing to score a touchdown against Patrick Mahomes. It's these sorts of games against the best of the best where Dak and the Cowboys have come up short. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. It's hard to win these types of games. But if we are to believe that these Cowboys are different and if Dak Prescott is truly the MVP of this league, I'm not going to say it's a game that you should win, but winning it would mean a hell of a lot. Obviously, it would keep the pressure on the Eagles in the NFC East race. It would be another feather in the cap Another piece of your resume that says, yes, this this Dallas Cowboys team can beat damn near anybody in the league. I mean, to some degree, that San Francisco monster is going to be looming, and, and we'll deal with that in the playoffs when it gets there. But beating Philly and Buffalo back-to-back would be about as much as you could expect from the Cowboys. We'll get, we'll get to what comes after that because they're not done. Miami and, and Detroit are still on the horizon. But to beat a quarterback like Josh Allen, who's playing the way he is, beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last week, had an all-world performance in a loss to Philly, I think it would mean a lot. And it's not something the Cowboys have done on a consistent basis, really throughout Dak Prescott's entire tenure. So yes, I think this is a bigger deal than the Philadelphia game just because we have not seen them do it, just because it is the unfamiliar. So, game of the week. It doesn't need a whole lot else, but we're going to dive into it on a deeper level. I was joined this week by my good buddy, AFC East writer for Fox Sports. Henry McKenna joins me now to talk all things Cowboys Bills. All right, Henry, you know the drill. It's the game of the week. It's the Dallas Cowboys at the Buffalo Bills. I want to start with the story you wrote for us at FoxSports.com this week, which is a great read, by the way. Please go check it out. Talking about just the Bills offense 
Josh Allen, how it's all changed since Joe Brady took over a few weeks ago. And I want to start with, I love this idea that you had talking about, well, is Joe Brady doing something different or are the bills just back to sort of letting Josh Allen be Josh Allen and, and do what he needs to do running, passing or otherwise to make things work. So, I mean, what, what is your take on that? What is the key to this turnaround? Is it Joe Brady or is it just Josh being Josh? Right. Think philosophically, you have to ask yourself whether they fired Ken Dorsey or not and moved to Joe Brady. They were, I think, right back against the wall, going to let Josh Allen cook, let Josh Allen be Josh Allen. Um, but luckily, Joe Brady has had sort of this advantage of getting the opportunity to let you know him do whatever he wants. The reason why they were not letting Josh Allen run as much as he wanted is because he runs like an absolute maniac. He runs like a buffalo. Uh, unfortunately, he's human, and so he can't take the contact. He can't take flipping and knocking into defenders and uh i think they worry a little bit about a scenario like cam newton where we saw his decline precipitous uh, fast fierce and it really impacted the carolina organization the buffalo bills do not want that to happen with their prized quarterback you know as much as josh allen has had his haters this year he is an absolute uh force and he is what every organization wants at quarterback so i think they had to make the uh, decision, do they let Josh Allen run the ball more often? Do they let him scramble? Do they let him create? And the ultimate decision they landed on, with help from Joe Brady, I suppose, is just to let him do it. Let him um, do all of the things that his body can can sort of like compel him to do. And I think the reason now that we're starting to see the Bills offense take a different step is, it's not like he's making less mistakes, actually. He's probably making about the same number. Uh, his turnover-worthy plays, according to PFF, are maybe even above uh, where they were when he was Ken, when he had Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator. But the, I think Joe Brady called him a human eraser of of mistakes. In, in and so, while he may be making those mistakes by letting him run the ball more and by letting him continue to push the ball downfield, whether it's intermediate or deep which we have seen, you know, if anything, an increase in since Brady has taken over. That's that's where Josh Allen really makes his money. It's it's if you rein him in, those mistakes are going to kill you. But if you let him do crazy stuff all game, you know, his his highest highs are actually going to at a, at a good clip overcome his lowest lows. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to criticize the guy and he I mean, he's made his fair share of boneheaded plays this season, but 35 touchdowns is 35 touchdowns, right? Like at a certain point, you, I mean, you take the risk that you're going to be able to overcome those mistakes more often than not. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's what they're really committing to these last three games. I mean, look at the Philly game. They're one of the worst passing defenses in the league. So I think generally people want to throw against them, but he threw 51 times. That is a season high for him. They were committed to throwing downfield. I think he, I, I'm going to throw a number out there. I'm not 100% sure it's right, but I think he had six deep passes, meaning passes that traveled 20 air yards or more. And that's got to be up there among his his uh, career highs. They wanted Josh Allen to be aggressive. He was running the ball. Uh, and look at last week against the Chiefs. They they created an, a red zone designed quarterback draw. What we were seeing and what drew Bills fans insane was running back draws uh, in the red zone. And it was sort of this like running joke in Buffalo. I'm sure, you know, if Bills fans are listening. They know exactly what I'm talking about. But for the rest of the country, it's it's just like was driving Bills fans insane. They kept seeing Ken Dorsey, you know, running. They had this big running back in Latavius Murray. They didn't give him, a, you know, an eye formation running behind the guard. They were doing these delayed draw plays and taking away all his momentum it didn't make sense. And and what makes plenty of sense is when you have a 240-pound running quarterback who can run the ball well, delayed or not delayed, just run a quarterback uh, dive, basically. And so against the Chiefs, you know, low red zone, they gave Josh Allen the chance to run the ball. He stayed upright. A few offensive linemen got behind him. And it wasn't the brotherly shove, but we saw sort of a rugby-style scrum where Allen gets pushed over the, the uh, touch for a touchdown. So... Honestly, it's just 
benefiting this offense. It, it, we you see it like on the field instantly, just how these more aggressive versions of of Josh Allen have have you know brought big rewards for Buffalo. One last thing I want to ask you about the Bills offense, and you touched on this in your story as well, but it's striking what we're seeing from James Cook since Joe Brady took over the young running back. And it's not even necessarily as a runner. A lot of it is coming in the passing game. He's his passing production is basically doubled. Granted three games is a small sample size, but it's very obvious that they want to get him involved. And it seems like they're looking to use him as an added element of their downfield offense. As strange as that might sound, how did that come about and and where do you see it going? Yeah, actually, I think, you know, certainly he he made a few big plays, including sort of a crazy play against the Chiefs where Josh Allen told everybody you could hear it from the broadcast. He tells James Cook, run a wheel route. <laughs> and even with him saying it loud enough for the broadcast to to capture it, the Chiefs didn't defend the wheel route and he ended up picking up, I think, 27 yards. So uh, that's an example of the downfield attack that you're talking about. But I think what's what's actually the biggest change since Joe Brady has come is not just that Josh Allen is running. It's that Josh Allen is checking the ball down. We're seeing him check the ball down uh, at about double the clip. He's, he's not just throwing to running backs at twice the clip, but he's also checking down at twice the clip. And when I say check down, I mean passes at the line of scrimmage or below. Um, so like a zero yard pass or negative. What that means is that the Bills are trying to replace some of their rushing attack with passing attack. And so if you've got a running back that's losing carries, he's going to add receptions in this in this way. And uh, the, the Bills are getting more out of that. I think James Cook is an explosive player uh, on the ground. He's an explosive player in the passing game. They drafted him, though, I think, more for the passing game. So this is a great way to get him involved give him a little bit more space and get bigger plays off sort of like yak, so to speak. Uh, I think it's working and it's something I think that Bills fans have been clamoring for all season. The two sort of missing pieces that make a lot of sense for this offense, Dalton Kincaid, who sort of faded a little bit out of the limelight. And of course, the guy we haven't even mentioned, Stefan Diggs. And that's actually fascinating because, you know, think, to the beginning of the season. Could you imagine if we were having a conversation about the bills and not even mentioning Stefan Diggs? Right. But in the last like five weeks, he's disappeared a little bit in terms of production. So I think getting him back involved could make this offense sort of like the juggernaut that we thought it'd be. Um, but for now they're kind of just like gaining momentum. So we'll see if, if Stefan Diggs can be sort of that crowning jewel on what is developing into a, a really elite offense. Um, but Right now, they're, I think, second in the league in scoring in the last three weeks, and that's pretty gar- pretty darn good. Yeah, I think you would take it, given that it was bad enough that they decided their offensive decided to fire their offensive coordinator. Okay, there is there's another team on the other side of this matchup. It's, okay. it's a lot to talk about the Bills before we mention the Cowboys who come into this game red hot. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Dak Prescott is the MVP frontrunner, according to Vegas. The offense is averaging 40 points a game over the last six weeks of the season. I guess that is where I want to start is you look at it on paper. You know, the Bills went through a rash of injuries at midseason and their defense looked pretty tragic for a while there. They've gotten it down from a points perspective, although it does still seem like they're struggling from a yardage standpoint. How favorably, unfavorably, whatever, how do you see this stacking up for the Bills defense trying to find an answer for what is probably the most consistent offense in the NFL right now. Yeah, I think they're going to get pummeled. I think this defense <laughs> is in for a hurting. Uh, they, they've had some good games for sure. Uh, and, that, and I say that sort of in like the post-injury era of this team. There, there have been some brutal injuries from Tredavious White to Matt Milano. Really, really key pieces in the defense have gone down. Uh, and since then, you know, more... More injuries, uh, but not as like, you know, huge, huge names. I just don't think that uh, Sean McDermott has figured out how I, I don't think they have the depth, let alone, you know, Sean McDermott figuring out how to use them in, in the best way. His system is pretty simple. It's like, let's highlight, you know, our really talented players. The problem with that is 
when you don't have the talented players and they're all hurt, then your system sort of comes up looking weak. And, um, you know, a guy like Bill Belichick, you know, he'll use Swiss Army knives. He'll come up with game-specific game plans. Um, he'll get super creative and the scheme helps him win or it doesn't. But, uh, you know, McDermott really likes highlighting his talent. And right now, you know, they're they're running short on talent. That The defense looks like it had a lot of trouble, for example, with, Patrick Mahomes is Chiefs. And again, that seems sort of like a weird thing to say, but the Chiefs offense, we we all know by now, is not what we thought, you know, a Chief offense should look like. Um, and so the fact that they struggled against the Chiefs speaks to the fact that they are going to really struggle against Dallas. I'm curious, and look, I don't I don't want to put you on the spot because since Monday, I've checked the forecast for this game about a half dozen times. And from Monday to late in the week, it's it's all it's been all over the place. Like a few days ago, it was supposed to be clear skies. I see there's a 60% chance of rain in Buffalo right now. We'll see how that changes. But do you, and I guess we'll speak to the Bills first. We can talk about the Cowboys pivoting to a running game. But like, do you see weather dramatically impacting what these teams want to do? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Right. I mean, both, it's not like one of these teams is suddenly going to really turn to their running game. Well, I guess the Dallas might, honestly, they might like use their stable of running backs. Maybe we'll see more like Rico Dowdle, a bigger guy, but um, I don't think the bills run the ball super well. They don't really want to commit to running the ball often with their running backs. Like we said, you know, an uptick in Allen running, but that's often an extension of their passing game. Um, So I, I don't know. I mean, the one thing that I guess we should consider is I talked about how turnover prone Allen has been. Maybe you put him in sort of a sloppy game environment and he might cough up an extra turnover too. And then, yeah, I think if anything, a messy game probably favors Dallas. I know they're, you know, that sounds weird because they're Dallas and, you know, they're usually playing dry games, but I don't know. What do you think? That's probably a better question for you. You're the Dallas guy. No, I, I think it's an interesting point. I, I could see the Cowboys trying to muck this up and, and win physically, but to this point in the season, it just, it hasn't been a thing for them. Like they haven't yeah. been able to impose their will in the, in the running game that way no. where right. they're, they're, you're not going to win games, taking the ball out of Dak Prescott's hand, at least in my opinion. And that's what I think is interesting about this is will they try? And if they don't succeed, can they pivot to it? I, and I mean, look, we've had a lot of bad weather games over the course of this season the bills played in one very recently against Philadelphia and it didn't seem like it slowed them down. That's, that's why I was curious about it. Cause I don't think Dallas has any business trying to pivot from what's working right now, which is letting Dak Prescott run the show. Yeah. And I mean, to, to the credit of, of the bills, like Josh Allen, I'm looking at the PFF stats right now, Josh Allen had a season high six big time throws, meaning, you know, exceptional off the charts degree of difficulty throws and only one turnover worthy play in that Philly game with all that messy weather. So maybe you're right. I don't know. Maybe maybe because Buffalo is accustomed to playing and practicing in bad weather, they can probably have their passing attack go uninhibited, whereas Dallas might have a little bit more issues, you know, with their efficiency. And if this does end up kind of looking a little bit, I wouldn't call it a shootout, but like being a high scoring game, uh, then maybe that ends up being, you know, one of the, the small margins of, of victory for, for either team. I did. Uh, I just, I saw Cowboys tight end. Jake Ferguson was dunking his hands in water during practice on either Wednesday or Thursday. And I was like, ah, yes, that's, how I know a, a dome team is getting ready to go up to Buffalo is when you're sort of dotting your T your eyes and crossing your T's about stuff like that. Yeah. I actually once saw Bill Belichick at um, sp- uh, training camp. He was standing over the kicker. It had been like a really pristine training camp. And so good weather, like nineties or eighties. So hot, but like nothing foul, so to speak that sometimes we get in New England. So Belichick got tired of it. He, he gets a few water bottles in his hands. He walks over, over the, 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 uh, 
extra point operation. So he's standing over the holder and he's just dumping water over the holder's hands and the ball as the place kicker is is hitting the the extra point. It was pretty hilarious. A little bit of like that, you know, a little gamesmanship, a little bit of practice. That's just good old fashioned football guy stuff. (laughs) All right, Henry, I, I got one last one for you and I saw it. It ran across our screen here just a minute ago. I feel like people are looking at me like I'm crazy. And this goes back to the top of the conversation. Like, look, I know he's thrown a healthy amount of interceptions. I don't think there's more than a couple quarterbacks that are playing better than Josh Allen right now. And I think if he wins this game, I think it puts him right back in the mix for NFL MVP, honestly. And and on the opposite side, a game like this, I still think this counts as a statement game for Dak Prescott, just being able to beat a quarterback of Josh's caliber, the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks, depending, I mean, wherever you want to take it, does it, do you agree with me? I guess that the, I mean, the winner of this game has a serious leg up when you're talking about uh, not just postseason standing, but, but whatever NFL MVP conversation you want to have as well. I think inside each building, they, they must have a lot of respect for each other. Um, Buffalo, I think gets a lot of criticism. Um, Josh Allen especially gets undue criticism. I, I think, you know, maybe Buffalo, like Sean McDermott, for example, has not had the best year as as a head coach. And I think that's a big reason why they're sitting in this situation that they're sitting in. But Josh Allen has done his very best despite sort of a lot of issues around him. And like you said, should be in the conversation for MVP sort of if if this team makes a push into the playoffs, they're currently sitting at about 48% according to a few different projections. So not necessarily a sure thing to get in, especially when they have a tough Dallas team this week. But I think hopefully people are really watching these games are really watching how Buffalo is playing. You know, I was actually on the Broussard show a month ago or something. Uh, his podcast i think and and i was explaining exactly this i was like just if you know you you really look closely at sort of what's happening you can see the boneheaded plays are really kind of looking bad for josh allen especially when everything around him is sort of blown up but those are the type of boneheaded plays that he kind of just makes and you have to live with them because guess what if they'd won the game, then they would have shown the highlights of like five different insane, sensational, like Mahomes caliber plays. And so that kind of gets lost is like when the team's losing, people forget. And, and it's on the quarterback. Like that isn't to sort of excuse Allen of of contributing in ways to their record, which is seven and six. But um, I'm with you. The Bills are are way better than they're way more talented, certainly than their their record you know reveals And this game is a substantial test for both teams. It should leave them, you know, either one with a tremendous amount of confidence walking away. I mean, think about it. If the Bills could beat the Chiefs and the Cowboys, you know, the best one, one of the best two teams in either conference in back-to-back weeks, that would be pretty remarkable. It would be about as good of a resume as anybody in the league has. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm laughing because I think if there's anybody in the NFL that can relate to Josh Allen, it's probably Dak Prescott. Dak's clearly, he's not the physical specimen that Josh Allen is. Nobody is. But very similar seasons. Josh is 23 with Dak's 22, where you're just catching all the bad bounces. All of the mistakes are kind of going under the microscope. And you just kind of have to stop and say, hey, the guy's still playing pretty damn good football. So it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. I can't wait for this one. I feel like... We've been we've been saying that every week for a month, but this I mean, two of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL, two of the most talented rosters. It's going to be Buffalo in December. It's a great Jersey matchup. Like there's just there's so much to like about this game. I hope it lives up to the hype. Henry, thank you so much for the time, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Take care. Cowboys and Bills will throw down in the late window on Fox. Our guys, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson will have the call in a nationally televised game. But earlier. In the early window, the NFC South will be in a dogfight for, hey, a home playoff game. Somebody's got to win the thing. Everybody in the South is in action. The Falcons are playing the Panthers as well. But I want to focus on the two biggest games in the division. That would be 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going against the Green Bay Packers and also the New Orleans Saints hosting the New York Giants. Two big matchups that could go a long way toward deciding who wins that division. And just as interesting as who wins the division is what the hell happens to the teams that don't. I think it's fair to say Tampa Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, all fighting through fairly disappointing seasons relative to how easy the schedule looked heading into the year. So to dive into these matchups, but also what the hell happens afterward, I'm joined now by my good buddy, Greg Allman. He covers the NFC South for FoxSports.com. All right, Greg, the the often ignored NFC South is front and center this week. It's, I guess we'll we'll call it a dramatic division race, maybe not an overly good division race, three teams below 500. All right, let's let's start with the division leaders. It kind of feels like the Buccaneers fell off. You know, they start three and one, they go to three and five, and then we look up around the holidays and they're leading the division. They play the Green Bay Packers up at Lambeau this weekend. I'm curious for your perspective. It's an interesting spot for the Bucs to be because they're leading the division, very much have a shot at the playoffs, but the inkling around the league is that depending on how this goes, Todd Bowles could also be out of a job by the end of the season. So what's what's the status there? And I, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but what's your sense on on where this might be headed? Yeah, Bucks, you know, control their destiny, which you can say the same thing about the Saints. But the next two are tricky. I mean, at the Packers, at home against the Jaguars, two teams that are also very much on thin ice for playoffs and trying to stay in it and, and worry about seeding. So, no, it, the nice thing for the Bucs is for them, if they beat the Saints and the Panthers in their last two games, they got a really good chance of making the playoffs. Um, even if they just split the next two, uh, going to Lambeau is tough. They won there, obviously, in the playoffs in 2020, had a different quarterback then. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's one of those where, you know, if they show up and play one of their better games of the year, it's a game they can win. Um, Packers just lost to the Giants on Monday. So, I mean, anything's possible there. But uh, if they don't play well, if they don't, you know, win the turnover battle, that's a place you can go and lose. And now they're probably back on the outside looking in. So with that in mind, what what, what, are, what do you see from the Bucks? Like, I mean, again, six and seven. You know, the old adage is that you you're as good as your record says you are. But I would argue the Bucks have played some solid football at times this year. Like, I don't know that Baker Mayfield's really getting enough credit for what he's been doing there. But again, six and seven with at least a couple pretty ugly losses on the right. schedule. I mean, where is is this team better than the sum of their parts or is or is this team, you know, for as many big names as they have, maybe still kind of underachieving relative to what they're capable of. Yeah, it, it's a little both. Uh, it's one of those where I, I feel like they could very end up eight and nine like they were last year, and it'd be a very different eight and nine. You know, a year ago, they still had Tom Brady. We're seen as a, you know, Super Bowl contender in the NFC, and you kind of back into a, a losing record and a division title. And even that, you get crushed by Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. So this is the opposite. This is a team that didn't bring Brady back and has $90 million on players who aren't on the team. Um, you know, Vegas had them as one of the bottom five teams in the league. So if they salvage eight and nine, nine and eight, it's kind of a win. Um, you know, fans are kind of divided here in Tampa. Some, you know, want a high draft pick, want a new coach. Others, you know, still know that this is a franchise that's only had so many division titles. So if you can go get one, uh, it'd be three in a row for them. And even in a bad division, that's, that's still an accomplishment. There's only so many banners they have hanging here. So uh, that'll mean something. And again, like you said, they've had some bad losses, uh, Falcons, Texans, games they could have won, should have won, and then they've really not held their own. I mean, the, the games they've played against the elite teams in the NFL, the Niners, the Eagles, the Lions, um, they have not played well in those games. So I think it's one of those where I don't think anybody expects them to be making the conference championship game. But for this team under these circumstances, I think they'd be happy if they can win the division and, and be competitive in a playoff game. So the... The scouting report, and this is going way back, but I expected the Bucks to have a, a solid enough passing offense. Just when you consider Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Baker hasn't been lighting the world on fire, but but he manages to make a couple impressive throws a game. Having said all of that, Rashad White's running the hell out of the ball right now. You know, he's what, what almost 300 yards the last three weeks. He's at least got an outside shot at a 1000 yard season. 
And I can't help but notice the Green Bay Packers are pretty leaky against the run. I mean, is right. is this the new Buccaneers identity is to get this run game going? I think so. I mean, they've wanted to be a good running team all year. They were not for the first two months of the season. Um, but yeah, like you said, Rashad White's averaged 95 yards a game the last three weeks. If he averages 65 the next four, he'll be a thousand yard rusher. They haven't had a thousand yard rusher here since Doug Martin in 2015. It's, it's the longest route in the NFL. Um, and I think that goes a long way toward making life easier for Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, Baker's a $4 million quarterback. So to get 20 touchdowns against eight interceptions, he's one of the better bargains in the NFL. Um, and he's got a chance here in these next four games. If he leads them to a division title, he's probably in line to get re-signed here and have a chance to, to lead this team moving forward. If he doesn't, if this team finishes seven and 10, he might be going to another team and it's his fifth team in like two years and change. So it's a big month for him, but Rashad white, like you said, has a chance. Uh, if you think about how well the giants ran against the Packers, how well teams have run against green Bay all year, uh, it'll probably start on a relatively cold day with, with him having 20, 25 touches and hoping for, you know, 125 yards and a touchdown or two. It feels like a theme for all three of these teams that, depending on how good or bad things go right. over the final month. I mean, it could dictate a lot of a lot of big, big decisions when it comes to coaching changes, quarterback contracts, all that type of stuff. I, all right. One last question about the Bucks. I Again, going back to like the preconceived notion, all the stars from this Super Bowl defense, for the most part, are still there. That's Todd Bowles's calling card. I know they've been banged up, but it hasn't looked great a lot recently and um, like is is there cause for optimism like getting guys back from injury that that this can turn around here or is this kind of who they are yeah they've struggled and it's one of those things where like you said if you have your core from a super bowl three years ago still together they shouldn't have coverage busts they shouldn't have communication problems and they have um and some of that's been injuries uh vita veo was out last week carlton davis and jamel dean their top corners have been out devin white who's probably disappointed when he's healthy this year has been out. So they've been shorthanded, um, but I, I think they they had thought this could be a top 10 defense this year, and it really hasn't been hasn't been consistent. They're good at takeaways. Uh, I think they're plus six in turnover margin. That That's one way they can win a game. Antoine Winfield's had a Pro Bowl, all-pro level season. Uh, but, you know, week to week, you don't necessarily know what you're getting with this defense right now. I'm glad you shouted out Antoine. I think he's one of the three or four best safeties in the NFL. So, Buccaneers fans, we we see you, we notice you, we know. Okay. Uh all right, let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about the team over in New Orleans that is now suddenly hosting the surging New York Giants, Saints and Giants. Go go figure, right? All right, but I I want your perspective on this. I it's it's one thing that Saints fans are aggravated with Derek Carr. Uh, you know, I mean that that happens when you're not winning to everybody, but more like less so the beef with the fans is like the continued beef with his own team. Right. I mean, throughout right. the season, we've seen it, it's been Michael Thomas on Twitter. It's been arguing with Chris Olave about who's doing the right thing on the play. He's barking at Pete Carmichael. I saw I did see center Eric McCoy apologize <laughs> to him this week. Still beefing with your center in the middle of a game like can the Saints survive these types of vibes where the franchise quarterbacks is seemingly at odds with everybody? Right. Yeah. It, it's it has like the, the drama around this team feels like they've lost four in a row and they won by 22 on Sunday. And you'd never know it by the questions being asked. A lot of the questions, the storylines are just, boy, you got to be frustrated. Boy, it's frustrating. Why aren't things working? Um, their defense has not been the, the unit they thought it would be. The offense has been kind of in Derek, Derek Carr. You know, it, you look at this division, Derek Carr was kind of supposed to be the guy that came in and was the one quarterback that could lead this division. And he has 13 touchdowns, which is a career low on pace for a career low for him. Um, and again, to, to hear him talk, I think he knows that if they can take three of the next four, get back in the playoffs, you know, kind of have a post breeze relevance again, it changes everything. But if they don't do that, it, it's kind of duct taped together right now. That's what I was going to get to next is, and look, I, I don't blame the Saints. I feel like the Saints catch a lot of flack for the way that they've gone all in at the end of Breeze's tenure. And even, you know, maybe you want to stave off, you want you want to stay relevant, stave off like falling out of the spotlight. I get it. But 
with the way that this seems like it's not working and and I mean, barring a miracle turnaround, maybe that could still happen. Like, do you could this result in, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, the Saints blowing it up? Like, are they stuck with Derek Carr? Are they stuck with a lot of this stuff regardless of what happens here? Yeah, they are, unfortunately. Like Derek Carr has basically at a minimum a two year, 70 million dollar deal. So you can't even use him. Next year, he has a $30 million base, and it'd be great. The Saints are like $90 million over the salary cap already for next year. It'd be great to be able to restructure that, but I don't know that they want to commit to any more time with Derek Carr than they need to right now. It's kind of like they've maxed out every credit card they have, and and it makes it hard in that the guys that you would cut, if you want to blow off the Saints and, oh, let's get young again, they can't even really do that because so many of their top players, guys that are 34, 35 years old, have these upside down contracts where if you move on from cam jordan it's like 40 million dollars in dead money and, and it makes it hard so they they kind of have to hope that the people that they've restructured contracts on for like three years now have a little bit more left in them because it's they haven't necessarily drafted well if you look at their last draft or two there's not a lot of rookies that are making a big impact on this team so you just need those old guys to not act old and and to kind of show they have four big games left in them just give me a little bit more, you guys. It's I mean, I feel like this has been the conversation with the Saints for about six years now. And every offseason, general manager Mickey Loomis and his guys, they find a way to make it work. But I, at some point, it, it feels like something has to give. So maybe maybe this will be the month that it finally does. Or, or maybe they'll rally. I am curious. I mean, it's definitely an older defense. But for the majority of the season, I would say this has still been a really good defense, particularly on the back end, like I, I assume the Saints can contain Tommy DeVito as a passer. Uh, so maybe is it as simple as just saying keep him from running the ball? Right. And I wouldn't worry about Tommy DeVito. I'd worry about Saquon Barkley. Um, I was just writing on them this morning. So the Saints held their first seven opponents to under 120 yards rushing every week. And their last six have all had more than 120 yards rushing. Um Carolina Panthers, one win, rushed for 204 on Sunday. So Oof. if you have Saquon Barkley in a fantasy league, this might be a good week for him. Um, and again, it, it, the Saints do some things really well on defense. They've gotten picks, interceptions, twice as many as they had last season. Turnover margin is something that works in their favor. The, the best thing you can say about Tommy DeVito in this game is that he last three games, he has five touchdowns and no interceptions. The guys playing him have two touchdowns and seven interceptions. And, and that's a big part of why they're 3-0 and in those games. So Derek Carr, who's had his share of picks this year, has to do his best not to have turnovers on Sunday if they want to win this game. Go figure, Derek Carr, on paper anyway, is the bigger liability than the undrafted free agent uh, from, from right there in northern New Jersey. All right, I, I'm going to give the Falcons the benefit of the doubt and like I'm going to trust the Falcons to beat the Panthers. If I'm wrong about that, sue me. But what I do want to talk to you about really quickly with the Falcons is I believe it was, uh, it was ESPN's Jeremy Fowler who kind of, he had a nugget this week that Arthur Smith is quote unquote safe barring a total collapse. I'm curious what you make of that. Cause I always, I laugh when I hear stuff like that because yeah, it sounds good to say somebody's safe, but I mean, there's still plenty of room for this season to go really sideways. Right. Oh, especially, I mean, right now, you know, Atlanta has a fairly easy four games to close it out. Um, Arthur Smith's been seven and 10 in each of his two years here before this year. So if he's seven and 10 or better, it, it's a, an improvement, I guess. But I don't know that people in Atlanta are excited about him coming back if it's not as a division champ. Um, you know, Atlanta's offense, I think there's been griping all year about just how much they've used three top 10 draft picks. Um, you know, we saw a big game from Drake London on Sunday, went for 172 yards against the Bucks. Bijan Robinson, you know, has got up to 1,100 yards. Um, he's had a nice all-around season. I just, I don't think this has been the team they wanted it to be. Their defense has probably been better than expected. Um, they were trusting Desmond Ritter at quarterback. So I think that was a question before the season started. But again, he's one of those where if they take three out of four, if they, uh, beat the Saints the last week of the season and win a division title. You know, he's not only back, he's hosting a playoff game. Everybody loves the Falcons. But if they go two and two or worse, it's it's shaky. Yeah, I, yeah. Like I said, I mean, safe, safe is an operative word. Like safe can 
safe is something you say when you don't fully know how bad it can get yet. I'm not right. saying that the Falcons are going to fall apart, but I do no, think there's a lot of season left. To his credit, Arthur Blank is kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum from David Tepper in a patient mm. guy who believes true. letting things high. You know, I don't know that every owner is patient with three straight losing seasons, if that's what Arthur Smith has. But I, I do think that the Blank is one of the more long-term patient um compassionate owners in the league and, and he might be the beneficiary of that what a division so just to recap uh one i mean we know the team that's going to finish last the carolina panthers they've already moved on from their coach three teams under 500 vying for the division title the two of the two of the three that don't get it you're going to have serious conversations about whether that coaching staff stays on. And even the team that wins the division, there will probably be plenty of disgruntled people about their team hosting a playoff game and potentially keeping their staff. Do I have that about right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, e even if you win, it's kind of like the Bucks last year. I mean, they won and were in no point in a game with Dallas in the playoffs. And I mean, this division champion of the NFC South lines up with the lesser of the Cowboys or Eagles. They'll probably be like a 10-point home underdog in the playoffs. And if you don't show up in that game, it immediately washes away whatever excitement there was about making the playoffs. So it, it's a tough place to be. I, I wouldn't want to finish third in this division if I were a head coach, for sure. Um, and there's different levels of patience. I, I, you know, I think they know with Todd Bowles here that they had some financial limitations going into the year. It certainly sounds like they're sympathetic to Arthur Smith, Atlanta. I don't know if Dennis Allen has as much runway in in, in New Orleans to where if he's seven and ten, he's safe. Uh, but yeah, I, I could easily have you know three coaching searches in January to to fill my schedule. Well, let's hope for everybody's sake. Like nobody likes to report on firings, and you don't want to be that busy either. Hopefully, it's not three different searches. But like I said, it's. Uh, Maybe not the the best division race in the league, but certainly it's going to be entertaining down the stretch. Greg, I'll be sure to check in with you about it, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks again for having me. Happy holidays. Great news for week 15. You don't have to wait until Sunday to get your fix of NFL football. Starting this weekend, we will have Saturday games each of the next three weeks. So as soon as college football ends, of course, the NFL is going to monopolize the weekend. We got games from wall to wall. There's three of them. This Saturday, a triple header, and it starts in Cincinnati where the Vikings head to take on the Bengals. I'm a little bit biased. I am a loud, proud LSU alum, but the most interesting aspect of this game to me is that both Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are expected to play. There were some questions about injuries there, but it sounds like they'll both suit up. And it sounds like as much as they might have loved being teammates, Sounds like there's some competitive fire there. Jamar Chase saying, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not the two of us together. I'm, I'm the best. I'm the best receiver in the league. Can't wait to see how that goes. Hopefully there's yardage galore. With all apologies to the Minnesota Vikings, they'll be starting Nick Mullins. I just, I just got to see it to believe it. I'm going to roll with a red-hot Jake Browning. The Bengals offense really hasn't taken a step back in two of the three games that he's started I think at home, they get the win against Nick Mullins and the Vikings. Jamar Chase gets some bragging rights over his college teammate. The second game of the day, that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers heading to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. A game between wildcard teams. Who would have thought here in December? I'll be honest, I didn't see that coming. But the Pittsburghs, the Steelers and the Colts, despite both losing last weekend, they each still hold the six and seven seeds behind Cleveland. So a massive game in terms of solidifying a grip on a wild card spot. Mike Tomlin is a hell of an accomplished coach. He's never had a losing season. He's got to win two of the next four to keep that streak going. I want to believe like this is where a really great coach rallies his guys and says, we're not going out sad like this. We're not losing three games in a row. We just lost two embarrassing ones. We're going to play well. We're going to come out of here with a dub. That's typically how this stuff goes. But Mitchell Trubisky's still starting for the Steelers. And I just, I watched that game against New England. I don't trust that. On the road against a Colts offense that has had success scoring points with Gardner Minshew. Jonathan Taylor, not going to play for Indy. So, I mean, they've got their own problems to worry about. Don't get me wrong. But I don't trust the Steelers offense. Looked 
like for the briefest of moments, they had their act together. Then Kenny Pickett gets hurt. I'll take Gardner Minshew at home over Mitchell Trubisky on the road. That's really all there is to it. Saturday nightcap is a really good one. The red-hot Denver Broncos traveling up to Detroit to take on the floundering Detroit Lions. Broncos winners of six of the last seven. Lions losers of two of the last three. Trying to regain some of that mojo from earlier in the year. Before we get to the game, though, let's, let's talk about the Broncos. Broncos Nation, I see you. I ranked you seventh in the power rankings this week. I'll be honest. I felt a little bit weird about it. Apparently, Denver Twitter felt just as weird about it as I did. Yes, I did put them in the top 10. Yes, it is exciting. They are above the Chiefs who they beat. But (laughs) yeah, people are so excited. They're saying, yes, y'all were 30th at one point. You gave up 70 points. You win six out of seven games, regardless of how pretty they are. Beat the Bills and the Chiefs. This is where you wind up. Okay, if you're reading these tweets, I don't condone this, Lil Casper. I'm not sure about the Broncos being Super Bowl bound. That's the weird thing about this team. They're still not that enjoyable of a watch. Like, Russell Wilson does just enough. The Denver defense is is better, but not elite. So, I, it's, it's more of a byproduct of the rest of the middle class of the NFL failing to be consistent than anything. Yeah, Gregory Rowe right here says, I'm a Broncos fan and I think seven is too high right now. I kind of agree. But the Broncos are the most consistent of a myriad of inconsistent teams. And that's how they wind up at number seven. That's how I've got them higher than the Detroit Lions. And here's the fun part. I think it's going to continue on Saturday night. I think the Denver Broncos are capable of beating this version of the Detroit Lions. The big news for Detroit coming out of Dan Campbell's press availability this week is that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, remember him, star safety, he's on his way back. Not going to be available on Saturday night. And so that this, this defense is still a problem. And even an offense as plodding as Denver's is capable of scoring enough points here. I think I like the matchup of Denver offense versus Detroit defense better than vice versa. I think I trust Denver to get some takeaways to stop Jared Goff and the guys a few times. And yeah, I think Russell Wilson and and Cortland Sutton can do enough to get what's it going to take 24 points, 24 points to win a 24, 21 game just as, Ugly and, like I said, methodical, plotting as all the other ones have been. But yeah, I think I'm a believer in the Denver Broncos to go up to Detroit and get a Saturday night win. We'll see how it goes. And may I mean, from there, we'll really have a field day with the power rankings, depending on that. Just stay tuned, Broncos Nation. All right, nine more games to get to, but only so much show remaining. So it's time for everybody's favorite segment. We call it the hurry up offense. If you're new to the show, we'll take you through the rest of the week 15 schedule quickly, efficiently as possible. Get you a nugget, get you on your way. Plenty more juicy matchups to get to. My wonderful producers are going to give me three and a half minutes and I will walk you through the remaining nine games. I think we can do it. I say that every week. It never really works out in my favor, but I got it. All right. Three and a half minutes starting right now with the Kansas city chiefs at the new England Patriots. Let's be clear, there's there's a big difference between losing to two playoff contenders, the Packers and the Bills, and then losing to the to this Patriots team. No, no. I mean, if the Chiefs struggle here, it's a completely different conversation. It's a big spread. I'm going to trust Kansas City to cover it. Patriots are woeful. Give me the Chiefs. I'm not worried about it. If, if they slip up, though, that's an interesting conversation that we'll have to have. All right. Texans at Titans. C.J. Stroud, as of this recording, is not practicing. If he doesn't play, I can't in good conscience pick the Texans to beat the Titans. Best wishes to C.J. Hopefully he's okay. Can't do it. Sorry. If, if he turns out to play, it's a different story. But I'm going to roll with the Titans for lack of further information. Jets at Dolphins. The Dolphins' offensive line is a wreck right now. Guess what the Jets do? They rush the passer. Yes, they do. Miami may not cover the eight and a half spread. It's, that's a lot of points. But assuming Tyreek Hill plays, and I think he will, 
I think that's enough to get the Dolphins to win. Maybe it's not pretty, but given the way Buffalo has shrunken the lead in the AFC East, I think you'll take even an ugly win against the Jets. I will take the Dolphins, but I bet it's closer than the spread. Bears at Browns, it is so tempting to pick a Bears upset the way that they've been playing recently. The Browns are beat to hell. We talked about their losses on the offensive line. They've lost a couple guys on defense. I'm still not ready to trust Chicago to be consistent. There's too much Jekyll and Hyde there with this team. There's still enough talent on that Browns defense. Kevin Stefanski's a good coach. Joe Flacco's playing well. Browns are at home. I'm tempted, but I'm taking the Browns. Falcons at Panthers. I'm just going to say this every week. If you can't beat the Panthers, then we don't need to talk about you. Falcons. If you want to stay in the playoff race, you got to, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's close. Bucks beat them close the other week. Doesn't matter how close it is, just win or else we don't need to talk about you. Commanders at Rams. I'm interested to see Commanders get a late, late bye week, the latest one possible. Maybe there's a little added juice finally getting a week off, but Matthew Stafford's playing as well as any quarterback in the NFL. Not sure if people realize that. Commanders secondary, not so great. I'm taking the Rams at home. 49ers at Cardinals. Only question here for me is whether the Cardinals play the Niners close for two or three quarters and then the Niners pull away or if the Niners pull away from the very get. Doesn't really matter. San Francisco wins by 17 plus either way. Maybe 14 plus. We'll say 14 plus to be respectful to the Cardinals. But regardless of when they do it, the Niners pull away. Ravens at Jags. Typically, when a team is fading, you can sense it. The Jags seem like they're fading. Maybe you rally in a home game to pull off a, a miracle, and you, nobody loses three games in a row, right? But between Trevor Lawrence's injury, losing Christian Kirk, and the Jags' defense being meh, no, I'm rolling with the Ravens. I can't pick the Jaguars right now. Wrapping it up, Eagles at Seahawks on Monday night. Different sides of the same coin. I'm tempted to say... The Eagles are are losing too much. They're they're not the same team. They're beat up. They're tired. Yada yada yada. They're still a much better team than the Seahawks. Geno Smith is going to play in this game. I think it'll be close. I think it'll probably be stressful for the Eagles, but I'm not writing off the Eagles just yet. I do trust them to find a way to pull it out and get their 11th win. And I did it. I said I would do it and I did it. I think that's the first time in a month I've done it. Okay. That does it for the hurry up offense. And I think I've been instructed to tell you now that it's the part of the show where I'm getting a birthday surprise. Oh, and I sure am. Holy cow. Wonderful producer, Justin here with the assist. Thanks, man. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Wonderful staff at the NFL on Fox podcast. Can should I show this to the, I hold that up for the camera. Yeah says happy birthday dave i don't want to spill it oh oh yeah that's gorgeous it is it's my 35th birthday i feel old as dirt and i'm gonna definitely have a sugar crash when i'm done eating this cake but i will don't worry about it uh so yeah i'm another year older the nfl season's about to be another week older and that does it for our preview show we will be back on monday as we always are we will take you through the highs and the lows, the crazy and, and the not so crazy. All the storylines will have the whole thing starting on Monday. We'll get into, we'll, we'll talk more Eagle Seahawks news and notes, react to all of the madness. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still shook by the, by the birthday surprise. I'm, I'm going to go eat this. Till then, please go find us on Spotify. Please go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. Please go find that. Wherever you find your podcast, wherever you get your NFL news, we will be there and we will be here on Monday to break down week 15. Looking forward to it. Appreciate y'all so much. Happy birthday to me. We will catch y'all next time.